Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Um, last week we looked at uh, why Jesus came. One of the reasons why Jesus came. And it was to crush Satan. And I get excited about that as well. The idea that uh, Satan's had his day. And it will come to an end. I, I promise you, as God has promised me, I promise you that this will happen. It's hard to imagine sometimes. It's hard to imagine that Satan will come to an end, his plots and plans, and they will be gone. Today we're going to be looking at another uh, reason uh, why Jesus came, and it's to bring justice. And we'll just come back to that. But, but I want to get your head around that Jesus came not because he didn't have anything better to do. It wasn't happenstance. It was part of the plan of the Father worked out in the Son, but it was a plan. Uh, this was not just a great place to come. It wasn't a vacation for Jesus. It wasn't that he wanted to see what was going on down on earth. It was that he came for a reason or reasons uh, and really to fulfill the plan of the Father. And then there's us, and then there's us, earth dwellers, right? People who live here in the great state of California. Uh, some of you have a foot in one place and a foot in another. You know who you are. Uh, but you, this idea that we live down here right now, right now, and that God has us here in families, relationships, as parents and husbands and wives and and. He has us here now for this time. And uh, how does this come together? Christ coming and us being uh, these earth dwellers. It's interesting. I went to uh, a wedding yesterday. Uh, Sam Sherrick got married. Some of you know him. And he's a young man and he married a young woman. And they, uh, you know, it's exciting to go to a wedding, right? Uh, their wedding is perfect. Well, it was last night, but uh, today, right, there's this sense of excitement and joy and uh, the sense of new beginnings. I think about what it is to be young uh, and what it is to look forward to things that you haven't done before, things that you haven't accomplished, life that you haven't lived. It's kind of like there's all this potential. You are the rookie of the year, right? There's all this potential and excitement. Um, and then, you know, you strike out a few times, right? There's failure. And as life goes on, there's more history. And we struggle. Uh, we struggle to uh, be as excited about the day in the future as we were when we were young. Got a few injuries. Had a few uh, failures. And we're worried uh, that someone is going to replace us with the new shiny thing, right? That we're going to be cast to the curb. That we're no longer going to be useful. Useful to one another, but even more importantly, accepted by the Lord. I'm excited to preach to you this message this morning in Matthew chapter 12. And I'd like to start reading at verse 14. I know I told you 15, Larry, but if we could start at verse 14. That'd be great. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read it to you. God's word says this, starting in verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. 
Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. God, thank you for your word. God, I ask that we would properly be encouraged by it this morning, that we would see your heart in your son, Jesus, and the purpose and plans and even methods that he came to this earth. God, may we see um, how fitting it is that we rejoice at the, uh, as we celebrate the birth of Christ. God, help us now as your church to be your church, to walk faithfully in our families and in our relationships, and as we are your lighthouse in this community. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I realized there was a kind of a transitional verse, verse 14, but what we're seeing is what Jesus, why he came, what, what he was doing, what his uh, activities were as he came to this earth. What Jesus was doing, well, if you look at this section, uh, he was, it says in verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, he withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all. He healed them all. <laughs> That's always an interesting thing. If you think about healing them all, I know there are many who claim to be healers today, and I would just direct them to the hospitals. Clear that place out. Let's do it. Um, if you have healing powers and you can do things, go ahead. Uh, do it. Clear out the hospital. As Jesus worked miracles, he healed them all. He healed them all. As they, as they came to him, he took care of each one of them. And that's, that's hard for us to grasp, right? It, to be honest, it was hard for the, them to grasp as well, even participating and seeing all this. And, and if you think about those crowds following him, the crowds are always following him. They're, they're finding him and following him. And why not, Right? Uh, if you think about the things that Jesus did, he was an amazing teacher, teaching as no one ever taught with authority, and he was healing, he was doing miracles, and it was a showstopper, right? It was life stopping and saying, I need to reroute and hang out with Jesus. I need to follow after him. It, he drew people in. He always did. And as he did these things, uh, he was drawing people in. He was healing people. What was the Pharisees' response? When they saw his great teaching, his great healing, and his miracles, what did they do? Well, it said it in verse 14, right? Verse 14 says, I read that one, transitional verse. Uh, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. 
doesn't make sense. Someone's healing everybody. And, and instead, the Pharisees are going, this is a problem. We want to keep people sick. We want them dependent on us. I'll leave it there. Um, Jesus, Jesus was about taking care of each and every person, each and every one of them. He, he wanted to help them. And as he did what he did, they followed after him. And as you see this passage, it's, it's like many passages in the gospel. Um, the crowds are pushing in. The crowds are wanting to follow after Jesus. The Pharisees are wanting to destroy Jesus. Uh, they want power and money and position and all those other things that only are reserved for Jesus. And they're looking. Uh, Jesus is rejected in these sections, these, these chapters. The Pharisees are plotting against him. The people, have, even his own people, have this warped idea of who the Messiah would be. And so you get this, this, this thing that Jesus is doing and teaching and then withdrawing. And he's saying, don't, don't make a big deal out of this. Just, you know, just go on. Don't, don't shout all these things, how great. Like, pull back, pull back. And you, you think about this and you go, well, Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons why, but uh, it, it wasn't the time. It wasn't the time. Now, uh, politically today, uh, we, there's ways to make people uh, popular, right? Ads, campaign ads, posters, right? Uh, social media uh, stuff. And there, there's all these ideas. And, and they're in, in people's minds, we say, we can get this person elected through money and position and power. And we'll start here and then we'll gain momentum and it'll whip everyone into a frenzy. And then they'll like it, this uh, candidate. And then there will be a rise to king, governor, president, you know, school board member, whatever. There's this process of gaining momentum. And it's the plan of men, right? Men chart this out. They strategize, and this is what needs to happen. And as part of that, there's the mob. There's the crowd. The crowds will come. And I look at this, and what you will see in the life of Christ is this. It wasn't the plan of the mob. It wasn't the plan of the Pharisees. It wasn't the plan of the Jews or the Romans. It's the plan of God. And I think even in our day today, it's important for you to remember, and for me to remember, people have plans. They got strategies they've been working on for a long time. Wicked plans. And then there's the plan of God. And even in the life of Christ, what you see is not the plan of men, not the plan of Pilate, Caesar, or anybody else. Not the mob, not, not public, public opinion, not the most votes. It was just simply the plan of God being worked out at the proper time in the life of Christ. And so we see this passage where he withdraws and even tells those who have been uh, healed uh, not to make him known. It says in verse 17, uh, this was to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And when you hear the prophet, you hear the prophet, whether it be Isaiah or anybody else or in the prophets, uh, 
It's always connecting the plan of God before it is known, before it goes into uh, being actively worked out that this was prophesied about. This wasn't a plan that man has made. It wasn't an act of uh, some cosmic force other than God himself. It wasn't something that just came up because the weather was proper. It was the plan of God. And the details uh, were found in the Old Testament in the prophets. And so we get this section that talks about what Isaiah prophesied about. And it describes why Jesus came, what he, who he came for, and also his methods. And I think this will be a great encouragement to you if you stay dialed in and don't start dreaming of Christmas cookies or decorations or anything else. Okay? Um, so fulfilled in the prophet, Jesus, his work, his way. We're going to see Jesus as a gracious Savior in a hating world. And I want to tell you that this message is as fresh today as it was when Isaiah wrote it, right? Even before Christ and even as Christ came, this message is still fresh for us today. And I think it's something that we would greatly rejoice in as we understood how Jesus the servant served. And that's what we're getting into now, how Jesus the servant served. In verse 18, it says this, And behold, uh, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, uh, with whom my soul is well pleased. You look at that, and it's the identification of Christ. As Isaiah wrote, he's identifying the one that will come, and he describes him, my servant, God's servant. This idea that Jesus was a servant. And I... We struggle with this idea. Who wants to be a servant? Who wants to be a servant? And you say, well, I'll do it for a little bit. You know? Uh, if, if, if there's some small thing you, you could do and it fits into my plans, I'll do it. I'll serve for a little bit. I can do something little, right? Many hands make light work. What if you're the only one serving? You still want to be a servant? Well, for a while. I, I want to get this picture that one of the, the titles that Jesus takes and is, is a servant. And I want to tell you, if you're to follow after Jesus, you too will take on that title. You'll embrace that role. You'll embrace it uh, as you think about your schedule. You'll embrace it as unexpected things come to, into your life. You'll embrace it in your home. Uh, sometimes in homes, we, we want to be organized in a way that a lot of work gets done and everyone does their part. I want to tell you, that is not the structure of servants. A servant does what he's called on to do. He fulfills his role. And, and how does he know? How does he know if he's been a good servant? That's what the master says, right? 
It's the one he's serving if they have what they need. And I think about this, and this is an amazing thing. Back, you know, we're not going to be uncomfortable anymore. Pull back. We're going to focus on Jesus, the servant. You know, we're not talking about us being servants anymore. We're talking about Jesus being servants. It's it's breathtaking that Jesus came down to earth to take on a role as servant. And you say, well, who was he ser- who, whose servant was he? And I want to say the father's servant. But what did the father call on him to do? Serve us. To what degree? Death. Death on a cross. You look at this and you realize that, that the plan of God, even in Isaiah, right? Farther back than that, but that's where it's recorded. You see, Jesus is the servant of the Father, chosen, and because of how he served, because of what he has done, because of who he is, the beloved one, the one whose soul is well-pleased. There's the blessing, the pleasing of the Father that he chose the Son for a specific role, the role of servant. And I want to tell you that uh, if Jesus is a servant, certainly we should be as well, right? We should see ourselves as such. We should not, you know, wait for somebody else to serve us or just serve ourselves. But this attitude that we go, man, Jesus was a servant. We should think about it all the time. Jesus served me. Jesus served wicked people, including me, that don't care about him. Jesus was a servant, a chosen servant. You you look down and it says in verse 18, in the middle there, it says, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. It's hard for us to understand, even at the best times, but you have the Father choosing the Son to serve in humanity as a human. Now the Spirit of God connected also the three persons of the Trinity together working in the work of Christ. And, and, and why? Well, because of His humanity, right? Of His humanity. He, uh, this was a work of the Godhead in all that he did in saving the world. It it says this, and then it says that he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Now, justice is a, you know, trigger word in our world today, right? Social justice, we want justice. And uh, we look at trials and we say, will justice be served? And, and then after the trial's over, depending on if it went our way or not, we say, this was an injustice or this was justice. And, and they got their, you know, we, we love the word justice. But the idea of justice is that, that there's not um, persecution. There's not people getting away with it. There's not people being lawless and not just lawless, there, there is no victimless crime, right? If there's a law against it, it, it hurts somebody. It, it uh, provides a, a penalty for somebody else because of what the, uh, the, the person, the criminal has done. 
And you think about this, and he, he says for the Gentiles, the Gentiles, and if you've studied the scripture and you realize just in a small way, you have the Jews, the Israelites, God's chosen people, and then you got everybody else, everybody else, Gentiles. And, and if you could picture the sea of humanity and at the center or some place in the sea of humanity, there's this little circle. Uh, it's not insignificant, but it's not this grand thing either. It's this small circle. Those are the Israelites, the Jews, okay? And the rest is the sea of humanity, right? Which the Jews are part of, right? But they are a small part, and there's some special things for them in the Bible. But right now, he is talking about the Gentiles, this word, um, you know, really for others, for others. And I I want you to get this because I think what he is saying in this passage is when he says the Gentiles, he says everybody, everybody. As you look at the sea of humanity, we're not just focusing on this special chosen people that I, you know, called in Abraham that is for generations gone and they've been faithful and unfaithful and I've, you know, I'm not just talking about them. I'm talking about for the nations, for everybody. And as you think about that, you think about the map right now, the world map, and you, you realize the diversity in our world right now and uh, the different languages, Power ba- Tower of Babel. Um, but uh, you look at the different languages and cultures and different places and people that we don't know about and others that we do and places that people fly to and other places that kind of people stay away from. And, and, and you look at the world and you realize that the normal person in all the world is concerned about justice. Concerned about justice when it comes to paying for taxes. They, they're concerned about justice when it comes to living in communities. They're concerned about justice when it comes to food and the idea of having the basics of life. And you think about that and you think, why would they be worried about justice? This is a big wor- world. There's plenty of room. There's plenty of room. Overpopulation. Not true. Um, you know, it's only people who live in big cities who think of overpopulation and they can move. Um, but um, you, you look at this and you realize these individuals and why are they concerned about justice? I want to tell you, in, in biblical times, they were always concerned about the king. Why were they concerned about the king? Well, depending on how good the king was, it's how good their life was going to be, how many taxes they were going to pay, how protected they were going to be, how, you know, would he let, allow them to live or what, were their lives there to serve him and how selfish and greedy he was. Right? So they were always concerned about justice. And it was always, are the people above me going to take advantage of me? Justice. And you, and you look at this passage and you see who Jesus is. And you see this, this is from Isaiah. You see that he is going to be the servant, a pleasing to the Father, chosen by him, Spirit of God in him. What is his message? What is the proclaiming message? Justice for the Gentiles. Justice for everyone. And you go, that's a great message. 
He's not talking about justice for a particular uh, culture, country, ethnicity. He's not talking about justice for any particular, but justice for all. Great message. Just justice, nothing else. And the reason that was a particular uh, attractive message, both for then and now, because there isn't justice, right? <laughs> you think about, uh, I remember heading to school when I was a, a young boy, and, uh, you know, at home, things, for the most part, seemed fair. Good, I got taken care of. And then you go to school, and, you know, it's the mob, right? It's the mob. And what do kids say? It's not fair! It's not fair! He got this! And, and you, you think about how difficult it is to keep things fair and for teachers and yard duties to sort out who's the offender and who's the got the offense and who should be strung up. And I guess they don't do that anymore. But, um, and who deserves to go free? You, you don't know. And so there's this idea of justice. And, and some you know, situations are unjust. There's just no way around it. And there's situations in our world right now for adults. It's not just for kids, right? Injustice. Things aren't right. They're not fair. They're not true. And so the message that Jesus is proclaiming was a plan before uh, he even came to earth. It was a message of justice for all. For all. Throughout the world. And so you look at this and you go, wow, that's an amazing message. That's an ambitious goal. That's an amazing plan the Father had in the Son, Jesus. If you look down at verse 19, it says this, He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. What happens when there's injustice? Got to tell somebody, right? Teacher, he hit me. She cheated. She cut in line. You know, they're, they're, you got to tell somebody, right? And if they don't do anything, what do you do? You go home and tell your mom and dad, right? And what if what do your mom and dad do? Well, they go to the principal and climb the ladder. They send out fire out emails, you know, right? Uh, superintendent emails, and just go for it, right? What happens when a group of people find injustice? What do they do? They go, man, we got to take to the streets. We're going to start a protest. Make some signs and stuff like that, right? Let's get a chant or a song to go together, and we're going to take to the streets. And we will be louder than the ones that are bringing about this injustice upon us is how it works. And you say, well, that's how it works, but that's not how Jesus does things. If you look down at verse 19 again, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. What was Jesus doing? He was pulling back, right? <laughs> you think about it, and he was doing miracles, healing people, and then pulling back. Can you imagine what that would have done for those families? Uh, a brother who lived in a different town or maybe was gone and uh, had a sibling who was blind. 
and Jesus healed, you know, gave their sight back, and the brother shows back up, and he just sees his sibling, like he, he sees family, and, and they, they're see, they see now. And he goes, what's going on? And, and they go, who did this? Jesus did. He's not here right now. He left. He bailed out. Didn't he want the credit? Didn't he want the credit? He, he wanted you to see, see who he is. His method was quiet. You see right here the meekness of Christ, right? That, that Jesus wasn't about. Uh, very few times was he angry, loud, shaking an angry fist. It was him doing healing, going about his business quietly, making difference in people. Not the methods of the most. As you think about what it is, the way we do things, we do lawyering, we do uh, loud argumentation. These words here are arguing, wrangling, shouting down someone. It gives the picture of this bold, louder, we will just speak louder than you. We will speak more forcefully so that we will win. And Jesus says, that's not my method. My method is not going out in the streets. My method is being quietly changing the world, bringing about justice. And you say, oh, that just can't happen. Justice to the Gentiles, not in a lawyering or convincing, arguing, wrangling sort of way. And then uh, it comes to verse 20. It says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. He gives two examples of how he is to treat people. I want you to get this. Slow down. A bruised reed. Now, uh, a, bru- a reed, you know, is a bamboo shoot type thing, and, and you see it small, and, and could be useful for many different things. Uh, most of the time, the commentators point to the idea of making a small flute or uh, some sort of uh, thing that you can hold. And, and, and when you think of a, a, a reed, a bamboo, a, a shoot that's growing up in the marsh, if you've ever seen those, they're everywhere, right? If you have these swampy waters, they're just there. And you say, well, how many are there? And, and the answer would be millions of them, millions of them. It's the picture, you know, maybe the idea of weeds in Bear Valley Springs, right? It's just something. It's out there. And if you could find something to do with them. Anyways, but uh, uh, he pictures a reed. And, and if you could picture someone coming by and they say, I want to make this little flute reed you know, toy or whatever. And they chop off a piece and they, they start to whittle on it and, you know, do what they're going to do. And then they go, oh, it, it, it's got a blemish. It's, it's not going to work. It's soft right here. I thought it was going to be hard. It's, it's soft on the backside. And he says, oh, I'll just get another one. Goes to the side. And he, he goes about it again, and he, he looks, and he says, uh, no, not that one. Uh, pulls one. Oh, oops, that's not a good one either. Throw that one away. And, and, and this idea, and he, as he's going about carving, maybe he makes a mistake, and he cracks it, and he says, oh, this one won't work anymore. And then he finally gets the one that's good, and he says, this is the one that will work. But look at the scripture. That's, that's the way we do things. If you can think about I, 
many of you attempt to do woodworking and building stuff. I do. Uh, I, I love trying to build things. But there's a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of mistakes in the Bosler, uh, you know, construction company, right? And you know, we're looking for the board stretcher many times, right? Uh, you know, oh, it's too short. Get the board stretcher. Oh, there is no board stretcher. Uh, let's, you know, good thing we have a wood fireplace. You know, uh, we can use this for some. Cast it aside. Look at the scriptures. Please look at the scriptures with me. It says this. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break. He doesn't take those of us who are bruised, broken, blemished. He doesn't say, forget you. To the wood pile, to the fire pile. Toss you aside. I'm going to get another one. I thought you were going to do, but you're not going to do anymore. You're worthless to me. He also says a smoldering wick. Uh, he talks about a smoldering wick. A bruised weed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. So uh, most of us don't have candles or, or little lamps. In, in times of the Bible, that you know, you, they didn't have electricity, so the lamp was very important. And they used different things for wicks, some kind of fabric and dipped in things, but also like little weeds that they would put together and make a, a wick and they would make it. And, and the idea of it flickering or smoldering or dying out, what would that have meant in biblical times? You, you think about that. You think about that. If that was the only light, the only light in your house and you know, you needed it. And so you, you got it all ready and you lit it and then you started to do something and it flickers. You say, oh, I got to relight it. So you relight it again and you mess with it a little bit more and it's just flickering on and off. Think about what you do with a light bulb or a light fixture in your home that flickers. You say, oh, it must, must not be in right. And so you mess with it and it flickers and stuff like that. And Fluorescence, ah, you know, you don't lose your sanctification. Fluorescent lighting will do it. But um, you, you look at this and, and, and you go, oh, I just got to get rid of it. Get a new one. It's too annoying. It's this, this intermittent working and this me messing with it all the time. It's too much trouble. It's too much trouble. These two examples are the examples that God used in the life of Isaiah to describe Jesus and how he would deal with people. What does he say? It says a bruised reed. What will he do with the bruised reed? He will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench. He will not put out. Too much trouble. I want to talk to you about your past for a moment. Your past. And you think about, you, you might have been the rookie of the year, right? But how'd you do your second year? Hey, have you failed God? Have you failed God? Are there scenes from your life that are extremely wicked? 
Are there places that you've been, things that you've thought and done that you're ashamed of? And, and you realize, you realize, and you, and you sometimes even hide it from others in a sense that you go, if somebody knew this about me, they'd cut me off. They'd throw me to the pile, right? They'd trade me out for the new shiny thing. I'm not talking about your relationships. I'm talking about how Jesus sees you. And I just want to tell you, the authority of God's word, it says that a, a bruised reed, he will not break. He will not trash it and throw it away. A, a, a wick that is flickering and smoldering and isn't giving, he says, he's not done with you. He doesn't kick you to the curb. This is a powerful message. And I, and I want to say this. Some of us have some kind of PTSD from our earlier life, right? We, we look back and we go, oh, no, it's just too much. God, God won't love me. God won't care for me. I want to tell you, he does. He sent his son Jesus for you. That he might be committed for you, to you for eternity. He won't throw you aside. I want to tell you, too, that Satan uses this in your life. He says, oh, remember? Remember that day? Remember that thing that you did? Remember those thoughts that you had? You're worthless. God will never take you. Don't you know that God's a holy God? He doesn't like people like you. He doesn't accept people like you. He was kind to you and you did this or that or you had this failure or sin and He's throwing you to the curb. I want to tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. And Satan would love for you to believe it because that's his doom and destiny. And I want you to get this, that this is our gracious God who graciously sent his gracious son for you and for me who will not break us and throw us aside. He will not put us out and say, I'm done with you. You're worthless. I want you to get this. This is why Jesus came. But wait, there's more. Back to the justice. So if you think about justice right now, you say, well, where is Jesus now? And when I say, where is he now? Well, why isn't he doing something now? Why is he allowing these things to go on now? I want to tell you, somehow it's time. It's time. And that promise, that proclamation that he made to the nations, to everyone, listen to this. He, uh, verse 20, a, a bruised reed he will not break and a, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. So it's not here yet. The victory is not here. It's, it's over, but it's not over, right? It's not completed. And as we looked at in the book of Daniel, as we see in the book of Revelation, there's a day coming both where the enemy, Satan, will be crushed and Jesus will bring about his just victory. 
for the whole world. And so, how does this end? Verse 21. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. The the picture here is in the name of Jesus, Son of God, the one who came, the, the servant, the chosen one. In that name is the hope for the world. It's the hope for the world. It's not in governments. It's not in tax policies. It's not in this state or that state or this country or that country. The hope is in the name of Jesus, the Christ, the chosen one, the servant, the the plan of God for this helpless earth. Jesus is the hope of the world. And and I want to share that with you because, because there's a danger for us in hoping in something else. There's some breakthrough, right? That there's some thing that changes, you know. Somebody else gets in power or some breakthrough of technology, medicine. I want to tell you, those things will come and go. Some will be good, some will be bad. But the victory spoken of in this passage is Jesus coming again, finishing this off. And so he's the only one that we should be hoping in. Please pray with me. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing of your church. And uh, what a great thing it is that we can meet, and uh, especially in this time that we can celebrate Jesus coming. God, may we uh, rejoice that Jesus is the hope for all nations and all peoples. And if they will hope in him, the only Savior, they will have life eternal. God, I ask that you would focus our hearts and on him this season, that we, our homes would be fixed on Jesus, our church would be fixed on Jesus, and that many more would know, friends, family, people of the community, they would know that you can, you can be trusted and your plan worked out in the, the life, the, the birth, the life, and the, the death, and the resurrection of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.